I uh, saw a headline this week in the paper. Not a local paper, paper on the coast. Um, I saw a headline, and it really kind of shocked me. And it kind of disturbed me, this headline that I read. It was in, in the wake of the, the shootings in San Bernardino, California. And it was a headline from the newspaper out in New York, the New York Daily News. And, and this is what it said. It, it said, God isn't fixing this. God isn't fixing this. There are pictures of four presidential candidates, four senators. And under each picture of these four senators, it has a a tweet that they sent out in light of the shootings in San Bernardino. And each of the senators basically said the same thing. Our thoughts and prayers are with the families and their victims in San Bernardino. And in light of that, The New York Daily News posted, published this headline, God isn't fixing this. Now, there are uh, two ways that you could take this. Uh, The first is that God isn't fixing this, and he could, and yet he chooses not to. So therefore, we're angry at God, because he's not fixing this, and he should. Another way you could take this is God isn't fixing this, and he's not going to. That even if God is there at all, he's not fixing this, so so we should fix this. As though we haven't been trying to fix the problem of violence for 6,000 years or more. The subheadline of the paper says this, As latest batch of Americans are left lying in pools of blood, cowards who could truly end the gun scourge continue to hide behind meaningless platitudes. Since when is offering prayers for victims and families of victims, since when is offering prayers a meaningless platitude? Now, don't get me wrong. I know that many of candidate, especially candidates for president, uh, could easily be accused of pandering for votes, invoking the name of God to pander for votes. Sure, happens all the time. But to say that a prayer is a meaningless platitude, that it is meaningless, as though prayer has no power whatsoever, it speaks to me. It says something to me about our world. It says something to me about our nation, that we are a world without hope we are a world that is hopeless we have a world we are living in a world where there is such little hope and it breaks my heart to see that our world has given up on God our world has given up on hope I read an, a, a news article this week about hope in our world. And in this news article, it said, for the first time in our nation's history, less than half of Americans believe that things are going to get better. And it's not because things are going so well. It's not because things are going so great that it just couldn't possibly get any better than it is right now. No. Less than half of Americans, 44%, believe that things will actually get better. 56% of Americans say 
It's either going to stay the same or it's going to get worse. Maybe you're there. Maybe you look around our world and you look and you see very little hope. Maybe you look around our world and you say, no, I don't see things getting better. I don't see things getting any better at all. I see things only getting worse or at the best staying the same as they are right now. A friend of mine on Facebook used a four-letter word in response to what the senator said as far as her feelings on prayer with regard to the San Bernardino situation. There is so little hope in our world. We are a world without hope. Things feel pretty hopeless, don't they? You turn on the news. How many of you have quit watching the news? Quite a few of you. They said, I I can't even watch the news anymore. I just, I can't even watch the news anymore. Because it's so depressing. I've heard people say that. I can't watch the news anymore because it's so depressing. I can't watch the news anymore because it's hopeless. You don't even check CNN.com on your lunch break anymore because you're afraid of what you're going to read. Another shooting. Another bomb threat. Another terrorist attack. You know, we, we, we watch the news, we, we read about it on the internet, and, and we see all these things happening. There's the gang violence and the, the gun violence in the streets of Chicago, the drugs and the, the terrorist attacks in Paris and San Bernardino, and so many things that are happening in our world. And we feel like there's no hope especially what's happening in Chicago, especially for all you Bears fans. There's just no hope. (laughs) On a serious note, on a very serious note, it feels like there's no hope. It feels like things are not going to get any better. It's like we're almost all just waiting for that other shoe to drop. It's like we're all just waiting for that next terrorist attack. I take my kid to school every day. I drop him off and I just pray for protection. I pray that today is the day that, that today is not the day that somebody decides to attack his school. We've seen it happen all too often. And it feels like there's no hope in our world. Like there's no hope in our lives. We're not the first ones to feel this way, though. We're not. In the book of Isaiah, we're going to read today about the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was prophesying at a time in Israel's history when uh, the nation was divided. There was the northern kingdom of Israel, ten tribes. The southern kingdom of Judah, two tribes. And the nation was divided. And the nation had fallen into uh, idolatry, pagan worship, Uh, They had fallen into temple prostitution, things like that. And God was going to bring punishment on his people for their sins. And he was raising up the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were going to attack the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, here's the thing. Isaiah, it was his job to tell the people what was going to happen to them. That's not a fun job. That's not a very hope-filled job. By the way, guys, guess what? In the first few chapters of Isaiah, guess what? The Assyrians are going to come in and attack you. They're going to attack us. And they're going to carry us off into exile. 
He's not winning very many popularity contests. So Isaiah prophesies about the destruction of Israel. But he says there's hope. He was living in a hopeless time. He was living in a time when about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And he's living in a very hopeless time. But he says there will be hope. Hope is on the way. It's not going to happen for a while. We're going to have to wait for it. We're going to have to wait for this hope. Uh, in fact, the, um, uh, the, the Hebrew word kava is the word for wait. To wait in expectation. I want to share a, a couple of verses with you. In, in Romans 15, 12, uh, Paul wrote, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus that the Messiah was going to come and the Messiah was going to bring hope, even hope to the Gentiles. Those who were not God's people. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul wrote, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Hope is one of the pillars. Hope is one of the foundations of Christianity. To have hope. To have hope that things will get better. To have hope that things will work out for the best according to God's will and according to God's plan. In Isaiah 8, 17, Isaiah wrote, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. When he says, I will wait for the Lord, he uses that Hebrew word kava that means to wait in expectation, to wait with hope, to wait knowing that something better is going to happen, something better is going to come along, something better will happen. It is to wait in exp ex expectation. Uh, the, the Greek word, elpis, is the word for hope, and it means a confident expectation, to wait with a confident expectation. And so here we are, some 2,000 years later, waiting in confident expectation for the return of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But for today, I want to talk about hope. I'm beginning a brand new series today called Hope for the Holidays. And we're going to talk about what, um, what God says about hope in his word, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. If you brought your Bible, turn there, turn to Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Or if you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 489. Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to talk about a man, uh, we're talking about Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah. That he was going to send a Messiah, God was going to send a Messiah to bring hope into the world. And he was going to bring hope to a very hopeless situation. He was going to fix this. See, it was a people without hope. God was going to fix that. So let's read together. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 5 is where we'll start. This again, this is in the context of a nation that is hopeless. Of a nation that is fearful and afraid. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress how many of you would look at our nation and say, it's pretty gloomy, it's pretty distressed? In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. And then he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. He is prophesying about an end to violence, an end to darkness, an end to death. He says, those walking in the darkness, they will have light. Those walking in the shadow of death will have life. Those whose lives have been marked by bloodshed and violence, it will be no more. Instead, those boots that walked into battle, those garments stained with blood, would be destined for burning destined for the fire there would be no more violence there will be no more death there will be no more darkness I look around the world today and all I see is darkness and death violence and bloodshed and I long for the day I hope for the day that they are no more how is this going to come about the people of Israel want to know, how is this going to come about? What will happen? Who will bring this peace into our world? Who will do an end, do away with the, the violence? Who will bring us hope? Verses 6 and 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. For to us, a child is born. And this child, this son will be the Messiah, this child this son will bring peace into our world this child this son will bring hope into our world hope to the hopeless help for the helpless peace for those who are divided this is the child who will be born the son given the messiah who will come into the world and he will be called wonderful counselor that hebrew word for wonderful literally means supernatural he is a supernatural counselor. He's not ordinary. He's not natural. He's not naturally born. He is supernatural. This same word is used of God in Isaiah 28, 29. It says, all of this comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counsel and magnificent in wisdom. That God is a wonderful counselor. The Messiah is a wonderful counselor, a supernatural counselor. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. This Messiah is no ordinary man. This Messiah is God in human flesh. In Colossians 1, 19 and 20, we read that God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, the Messiah. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. 
that Jesus went to the cross and he suffered and he died for our sins. He bled for our sins. He was beaten for our sins. He was crucified for our sins. He shed his blood for our sins in order to make peace with God for us. You see, the Bible says that we were once enemies of God in our minds because of our sinful behavior. We were enemies of God. And yet Jesus has come into the world to make peace with God between humanity and God. He made peace with God for us. So now that if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you will believe in Him, repent from your sins, confess your faith, be baptized, God will wash away your sins. He will cleanse you from your sins. He will forgive your sins. He will not hold them against you. Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. You are blessed because God does not hold your sin against you. How many of you have ever held a grudge? You can admit it. It's okay. We're in church. Don't lie. You held a grudge against somebody. You were bitter against somebody. God doesn't do that with you. God says, I will not hold your sins against you. I will not count your transgressions against you. I will not hold your iniquities against you. I forgive them. They are no more. Therefore, you are blessed. So what can we do? We know this Messiah. We know this this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And only He can bring peace into this world. Only He can bring peace between humanity and God. Only He can bring peace between brother and brother and brother and sister and sister and sister. Only He can bring peace into our world. What can we do? We live in a world that is hopeless. How can we bring hope into the world? We bring Jesus into the world. Just as God brought Jesus into the world in Bethlehem, we bring Jesus into our world, one person at a time. We live in a world that is hopeless, that is in desperate need of hope. We know hope. We have hope. We have hope because of Jesus. I don't know who you're trusting in for your hope. But if you're not trusting in Jesus, you're not going to have real hope. You may put your hope in a, in a presidential candidate. You may put your hope in a politician. You may put your hope in a program. You may put your hope in a government. What does Isaiah say? The government is on his shoulders. Don't put your hope in a government. Put your hope in Jesus. Because he is the one who gives true, lasting hope. He is the one who has provided hope for eternity. We put our hope in him. We find hope in him. You know, I think about it like this. The world, it's not at the end of its rope. The world is at the end of its hope. And we need, as hopeful people, to take that hope into the world. It's like I said, the world's not at the end of its rope, it's at the end of its hope. So how can we do that? One person at a time. The Bible says that we should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. 
People should see hope in us. People should see Jesus in us. They should see the hope that we have, that things will get better, that there is a, an eternal destination awaiting us of heaven. And I don't want anyone to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want my family to miss it. I don't want my friends to miss it. I don't want anyone to miss it. And unless I live like a person filled with hope, they'll never see it. If I won't tell them about hope, if you won't tell them about hope, who will? They're not going to find it on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. Sorry to all y'all, whatever your flavor of 24-hour news coverage is. Soapbox. Anybody else watch like San Bernardino coverage and just get totally annoyed at all of the speculation? We don't have any answers, so we're going to speculate on everything um, and, and we don't know anything. And 24 hours from now, we'll all be proved wrong. Why do we have to do that? It's because we live in a world with no hope. So we're just filling dead space and dead air. We're just filling the time, trying to figure things out. Why did they do this? Why did this happen? Because we live in a world with no hope. We who are Christians... We who are believers in Jesus, who are filled with the Spirit of God, have the Spirit of hope. And we have the Spirit of Christmas within us. Christmas is a time of hope. We have the opportunity this year to bring hope for the holiday. We have the opportunity to give hope for the holiday. And it's more than just saying Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays, as though that makes a big difference in someone's life. Oh, Merry Christmas, really? What's, what's this Christmas you speak of? As though no one's heard of it. To give real hope. To tell somebody who's hopeless about the, the Jesus you know who gives hope for the holiday. To tell somebody you know who's helpless about the help that God gives through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. To get hope for the holiday. To tell someone who's filled with chaos and confusion, whose life is falling apart, that there is someone who can put it back together and give them hope for the holidays. That's what we're going to talk about for the next couple weeks. I hope that you will invite a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, a family member invite someone to join us to come hear about the hope that we have that they will know there is a god who loves them and he sent his son jesus to prove it and they can have hope for the holidays father god i pray this morning for those who have no hope for those who are hopeless for those who feel helpless for those who are at odds those who have been affected by violence and pain and death Lord we need the hope that only you can give we need the hope of Jesus in our lives so that we can share it with others so remind us that you're not done remind us that you're not dead but that God you are alive and alive in us I pray today that you would give us hope for the holidays and that we would be able to share that hope with others. 
Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for your son Jesus, the Messiah you sent, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be set free from the bonds of hopelessness. I pray today that you would bless my friends who are here. Give us an opportunity this week to speak about the hope that we have that comes from Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.